Section one of the Medici, Volume one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Medici, Volume one by G. F. Young. Chapter one. Florence. O foster nurse of man's abandoned glory, since Athens, its great mother, sank in splendor, thou shadowest forth that mighty shape in history, as ocean its wrecked fane, severe yet tender the light-invested angel poesy was drawn from the dim world to welcome thee shelley standing on the hill of san miniato and looking down from thence as so many belonging to bygone generations have done at the city spread out at our feet we see before us a city such as none other ever can be to a large portion of mankind one in which things have had their birth which now form the lifeblood of all the intellectual existence of europe as iriarte says we must dearly love florence for she is the mother of all those who live by thought her outward beauty is palpable to all the domes and spires of a smokeless city bathed in sunshine the slopes of the apennines extending almost to its walls covered with vineyards olive plantations gardens and numberless luxurious villas the silver thread of the river arno winding away in the distance through the beautiful val de arno the tender colouring which in tuscany is so marked a feature of the distant landscape all these together make up a whole which is a dream of beauty but there is more to be seen than this florence's charms are not confined to her outward beauty for this is the city which produced the renaissance an achievement which will ever surround florence with an unfading glory the influence she has thus exercised has secured for her a world-wide interest undoubtedly the main attraction of florence for the modern world is as a place where there breathes a stiller higher atmosphere than that of the hurrying striving twentieth century a place where if we will the history of the past is made to rise before us and where the masterpieces of art strive to draw the mind upwards from the low level of the trivial the ignoble and the commonplace it has been said that the arts are the avenues by which the mind of man soars to its highest limits if that be so then in florence if anywhere in the world must the truth of those words be felt for in the city of dante and petrarch of ghiberti brunelleschi donatello and michelangelo of giotto arcagna masaccio fra angelico botticelli and leonardo da vinci not only one of those avenues but no less than four of them have been followed as far as the mind of man has ever penetrated along them we are going for a little while to be occupied in miss scene's instinct with the spirit of these men therefore in looking at beautiful florence let us try to think chiefly not of her outward beauty but rather of all the deep interests which she is able to unfold to us in art and history and literature bound up with the name of florence for all time to consider the high-souled thoughts which gave the birth to all that we go there to see produced by minds which were able to make their city preeminent among all cities in painting in sculpture in architecture and in poetry and at the same time preeminent also in learning and in the science of their age thus as we look down upon florence from san miniato we shall be drawn to think of the high aspirations of those who first planned to build that mighty dome and who directed their cathedral to be designed so as to be worthy of a heart expanded to much greatness to think of the conceptions of him who while he was the father of all painting could also be so great in architecture as to design that beautiful bell-tower by its side of the strong character of those freedom-loving florentines 
who erected that solidly built city fortress to guard their supreme council from the effects of their own turbulent spirit of all that lies collected under that small pointed spire in the background telling of the dawn of the renaissance of art or again of what a world of high-souled thought is represented in that line of statues in that colonnade florence's valhalla extending from the river to the fortress that galaxy of the great in poetry and art in learning and in science all produced by this single city and containing even though brunelleci giberto masaccio fra angelico and botticelli are not there at least twelve great names of which any one would suffice to make any other city famous and as they look down upon us from their niches they invite us to walk their streets in spirit with them with dante and giotto and arcana and donatello and leonardo and michelangelo and galileo and to be uplifted into the world where their thoughts dwelt so that we too may be if but for a moment among the immortals lastly we shall be drawn to think of that family who for so many generations took a chief part in all that interests us in florence whose care for learning and art produced such wide effects who preserved to the world most of those treasures of art which we now visit florence to see and who all lie buried in that church of san lorenzo which is marked by the smaller dome in the distance whereas their line came near its end they erected tombs which are those of crowned heads tombs visited by all the world for their masterpieces of art and their magnificence the city is what those who once lived in it have made it and as we look at the memorials of themselves which they have left behind them and which still belong to their descendants we must not omit all thought of the race which made these men what they were for this is etruria a country which has always from the earliest time led the way in italy and from whence in the middle ages there came forth as leaders of the movement which we call the renaissance a great succession of men of whom it has been said the dazzling light of their genius shines on through the centuries to show to future generations what man can be and do so that these memorials of florence's past are no dead records of a bygone time but afford the strongest inspiration to us of the present day and since the signoria of florence when starting at the end of the thirteenth century to build their cathedral declared in the document conveying their instructions to its architect arnolfo di cambio that the desire which animated them was that it should be designed so as to be worthy of a heart expanded to such greatness corresponding to the noble city's soul which is composed of the soul of all its citizens the great dome of florence whose construction was thus inspired by a name so different from that which later on called into being its rival at rome may well whenever from far or near it strikes upon the eye act as a clarion call to high and noble aims the men who in a mere government document ordering a great public work could reach such a level were no common men and in commenting on their words mr walter skyfe justly asked has the much vaunted progress of civilization during the six centuries that have since passed carried us so far beyond either the sentiments or the work of these men but there is yet another attraction which florence possesses for the modern world and that is the vividness with which the past is there made to live before us the way in which the twentieth century is enabled to look at the fifteenth even with the outward eye and as if four swiftly flowing centuries that have intervened were rolled back the massive strength of the bargello of the palazzo vecchio and even of the ordinary buildings in every direction forces upon us the recollection of the fierce fighting which these narrow streets have time after time witnessed and while other cities have preserved little 
round which interests connected with men eminent in history literature or art who pass their lives there can gather florence which has held a leadership in art and letters equaled by no other city except athens teems with memorials of those who gave her that leadership the dome of the cathedral brings to our minds brunelleschi its nave re-echoes with the thundering eloquence of savronarola its beautiful campanile recalls to us giotto the loggia di lanzi reminds us of orcagna the baptistry bears record of gilberte the torre del gallo still keeps alive the memory of the starry galileo we see the house where dante lived we pass the shops where giotto botticelli and andrea del sarto worked we follow the same streets by which verrocchio ghirlandaggio and michelangelo went to their daily tasks we stand before church doorways made beautiful by the art of luca della rovia we listen to donatello's voice as we gaze at the statues surrounding or san michele we pace the corridors and cloisters of san marco accompanied by the spirits of fra angelico and savronarola and in many an old fresco the faces dress and manner of life of the men and women of the renaissance are brought before us with startling vividness but the full effect of this vivid realization of the past which florence forces upon us is best seen by comparing her with her great rival venice mrs oliphant speaking of venice says after the bewitchment of the first vision a chill falls upon the inquirer where is the poet where the prophet where the princes the scholars the men whom could we see we should recognize wherever we met them with whom the whole world is acquainted they are not here in the sunshine of the piazza and the glorious gloom of san marco in the great council chambers of the ducal palace one so full of busy statesmen and great interests there is scarcely a figure recognizable of all to be met with in the spirit no one for traces of whom we look as we walk or whose individual footsteps are traceable instead of the men who made her what she was and who ruled her with so high a hand we find everywhere the great image of venice herself in her records the city is everything the individual nothing venice is the outcome not great names of individual venetians mrs oliphant's subsequent remarks show that the root of a reason why venice produced no prominent men was the inordinate love of money a race with whom money-making and money-spending is the one serious interest cannot penetrate those those avenues by which the mind soars to its highest limits florence also loved money but it was not her chief interest and so we have this significant result florence with art and learning as her passion and with her long line of immortal names in every branch of these the city which led the way in producing the civilization of europe and on the other hand venice producing next to nothing of the kind no great poet no great scholar no great sculptor no great statesman known to all the world no great painter even until her rival had been leading the way in that particular for a hundred and fifty years and had produced a host of such and leaving nothing behind her but her own exalted name nothing still able to elevate mankind after her glory had passed away it is a great contrast and just as it is the lack of human interest in the case of venice that causes that chill to fall upon the inquirer so on the other hand it is the abundant possession of the human interest that gives florence her great attraction the seed from which the fruit grew was in the one case the love of money in the other the love of art end of section number one